All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, Nicks? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast, WTF. Welcome to it. How's it going? Where are we at? I know, I know, it's it's terrible and beautiful at the same time, and that is the way life is. I hope you're kind of uh, able to focus on having a holiday this week. I hope that happens for you. I hope it's a good one and not a horrible one. I'll try to uh, broadcast my yearly broadcast from down in Florida, where I will be doing a uh, a solo cook-off for uh, a smaller group this year. It's the first time I've been down there since uh, my aunt passed away a few months ago, and it's going to be a little heavy, but that's what life is. Life is heavy. You know, it comes and goes, but uh, as you get on with it, it comes more than goes. But then eventually it just fucking goes. I hope I hope you're all right. I'm a little loopy. I just got back from Denver. I did four shows. And man, maybe maybe I'm getting too old for this shit. I don't know. Maybe I put too much of myself into it. I can't tell. All I know is I did four shows and I am wasted. I love going to Denver. I've been going for years. And I always love that downtown comedy works. And that's always where I've worked. And I think it's one of the best rooms in the country. But I got to be honest, that Comedy Works South, just as good. I don't know what it is with those places. It's The audiences are good, but there's something about the structures. And from what I understand, the woman who owns the place, Wendy, she designed both those rooms. And they are they are really some of the best rooms to do comedy in in this country. And I'm not, why do I need to say that? I'm just telling you, I enjoyed it. I got real work done. Taika Waititi is on the show today. I talked to him. He's a filmmaker, actor, and comedian. He won an Oscar for Jojo Rabbit. He directed the last two Thor movies. He's the executive producer of the series What We Do in the Shadows, Reservation Dogs, and Our Flag Means Death. His new film is called Next Goal Wins. And he's a fucking genius. I watched all his shit before I talked to him. I'd seen some of it, and I watched some of it again. I watched some of it for the first time. And that guy is a auteur of the highest order has a point of view, has a vibe to his movies, has a unique approach to comedy, is a very funny actor, works tremendously well with kids. It's just brilliant. And him and uh, Sterling Harjo, who we talk about, uh, are just amazing. There is a way of capturing the native way of life, uh, Taika from New Zealand and Sterling here in Oklahoma, where you can just kind of create the tone of, of the life that they live. And it's a different tone than the rest of us live. And it's got its own kind of groove and its own humor and its own heart. And it's just amazing. And it runs through almost all of Taika's movies, including this, this new one, uh, Next Goal Wins. But I just was thrilled to talk to him, but even more thrilled to sort of have a reason to go back and watch some of those movies because they're tremendous. I was fucking excited, but I'll ramble about that in a minute. I'll be doing a live talk with Cliff Nesteroff about his new book, Outrageous, at the New York Public Library on Wednesday, November 29th. It's a free event, and you can go in person or watch the live stream. Go to nypl.org slash events. My Los Angeles dates in December. I'm at Dynasty Typewriter on December 1st, 13th, 28th. The Elysian on December 6th, 15th, 22nd. And Largo on December 12th and January 9th. Then in 2024, I'm in San Diego at the Observatory North 
Cliff Park on Saturday, January 27th. A second show has just been added for that night. Those tickets will go on sale tomorrow, November 21st at 10 a.m. I'm in San Francisco at the Castro Theater on Saturday, February 3rd. On February 4th, Sunday, I'll be hosting a screening of McCabe and Mrs. Miller at the Roxy Theater right there around the corner from the Castro. You might check their website. I I don't know exactly how they're going to be selling tickets. I'll be in Portland, Maine at the State Theater on Thursday, March 7th. Medford, Massachusetts, outside Boston at the Chevalier Theater on Friday, March 8th. Providence, Rhode Island at the Strand Theater on Saturday, March 9th. And Terrytown, New York at the Terrytown Music Hall on Sunday, March 10th. I'll be adding more dates for the fall. I will be coming to a city near you. This isn't the whole of the tour. If I survive, I will be adding more dates. So don't panic. Man, Denver got some records, wax tracks, got some records, a few, didn't need them, got them, Sandy Bull record, Glenn Campbell and Bobby Gentry record, a Salem 66 record, a weird Herbie Hancock record. I feel like I got one other record, I don't remember what it was, but I got them. But here was the thing that was kind of funny. The last show, it was Saturday night, my opener, Georgia Comstock, who was very funny, killed, and I got up there and I was kind of trying to uh, contract my, you know, reel in my brain. I knew right away it was going to be hands-on and it was, I had to stay on top of it, but I was going to do what I was going to do. It went very well, but there was a guy right up front and his wife, and apparently there was, they was not laughing, just looking at me, just sitting right up front, a big guy, couldn't get him to bust an expression at all. And that's a fucking nightmare. The rest of the fucking crowd is, is going with me. It's great, but he's just sitting there. And he's got this look on his face that was impenetrable. He wasn't mad. At some point, I made fun of him. And and then I made fun of him again. And there was a younger woman sitting next to him, also not laughing, who he said was his daughter. So I figured it ran in the family. But uh, but then he said he was too much like me to laugh. I'm not sure I bought it. But I just had to adjust to that. And it, I got to be honest with you, it, it made me angry. And it gave me an edge for the whole show. It wasn't bad. I was able to go in and out of the vulnerable places, but yet with a little, a little bite to it. But something that's never happened to me before was that, you know, I do the whole show. And at the very last bit, the guy didn't laugh once. And at the very last bit, he lets out the most awkward, ridiculous laugh that I believe was genuine. But it was it rose above all the other laughs and kind of, you know, took shape in the ether as a ridiculous noise. And at that moment, I said, thank God I didn't make you laugh the whole show because there was no way we were going to get past that laugh as a crowd. Maybe he was self-conscious about it and he chose to hold it in. I doubt it. But boy, it was just one of those laughs where it was like, wow. And there was one there on Friday night, too, but no one made light of it. And look, it's a natural thing, but sometimes they're so unique that you got to be careful. Because the audience knows, like, that's a weird laugh, and it's very noticeable. And then if you draw attention to it, then they do it more because they do it unconsciously. And then it com- becomes the, the fabric of your show. But the fact that this guy didn't laugh the whole show to the last bit and then laughed, and it was ridiculous and annoying and show-stopping. I've never been so grateful, and I've never... Uh, misread uh, a dude uh, worse. I I don't know what his story was, but uh, I was so, I kept telling him like, I'm going to get you. And thank God, thank God I did not. That's what I'm going to tell you. So 
Look, Taika Waititi is here, and I watched all his movies in order, even the ones I've seen, and it's just a genius filmography because he has a unique vision, and he's hilarious. I watched Eagle vs. Shark, Boy, uh, Boy is another one, What We Do in the Shadows, Hunt for the Wilder People, which is beautiful. Thor Ragnarok, Jojo Rabbit. I watched Thor Love and Thunder. I watched his new one, The Next Goal Wins. And I was just stunned and amazed and moved at the the kind of vibe of his movies, the vision of his movies. It's just, you know, no one really, there's something about, and it makes total sense that he, that he uh, produced Reservation Dogs with uh, Sterling Harjo because Sterling works with American natives and Taika comes from uh, New Zealand natives and the groove of native life and native spirit and native uh, heart is it just threads threads through all of most all of his movies and is very similar to Sterling's and it's just totally unique to me and totally that when he when Taika does comedy it's hilarious so let me share this conversation I have with him. And I, I did want to mention up front that we are talking um, about Sterling Harjo right, right, right at the beginning here, who created Reservation Dogs with Taika. Uh, I think we just got into it. I think we actually got got riffing, got talking off the mics and just got into it. But that's that's who we're referring to. This is me talking to Taika Waititi. And you shot this the last, this new movie four years ago. I shot it in two thousand. It this this time four years ago. Yeah. Then though the pandemic happened. There was a year of just doing nothing. I didn't look at yeah. the film. Then I f- did finish the film, and there was a strike, so no one wanted to do anything for again another year. Yeah. And so now it's now it's out. And when did you do the pirate thing? Twenty twenty one. Did the first season. Then so the that was after. Season was last year. Yeah. So that was after. After I shot this film, yeah, what did I do? I did Thor, yeah, another Thor film. Oh, you did the second Thor the second after, Thor, after the new I one? shot this one while I was in post on this one. Then I did these TV shows. I yeah, shot, I shot the pirate one, and then I shot uh, Time Bandits uh, with Jermaine. Yeah, and, and and another TV show, Interior Chinatown. And what is that one? That's the one uh, based on a book by Charlie Yu, oh. and it's um, it's a great kind of uh, it's about a it's about a kid in Ch- who lives in Chinatown. Yeah, who realizes that he's a background character in uh, a police procedural like uh, CSI, <laughs> and all the light when the cops come in. Is it a doc style? It's uh, no, it's sort of like I mean, basically, it's like a it's like a. Um, a Wong Kar Wai film. It's a bit like Fallen Angels or uh-huh. Chunking Express, and um, and it's got yeah. So we're using all those old styles, but um, you know, he lives in this town, and 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 the style of the sh- of the shooting where, while he's yeah when we're with him, it's all like handheld, rear raw lighting, and then when the cops turn up, white cops turn up to, yeah. you know, to like to investigate things. The lighting turns into studio lighting, and the camera goes on dollies, and it's all beautiful. And like he's like, why is everyone backlit? <laughs> 
<laughs> Why are these cops so bad? Everyone looks beautiful. And you, and you came up with that device? Uh, no, Ch- um, Charlie, you who wrote the uh, who wrote the book. Yeah, we came, we came up with that idea together that to change the lighting and to change sure. the style. Yeah. You know, whenever the cops turn up, and then he starts being pulled into that world, and then suddenly he's like, "Oh my god, I'm lit so beautifully." Everything around me, you know, he starts being pulled into the into the white world of uh, of. Of stardom, and w- but what was uh you know because I you know I'm friends with Sterling these days. Mm. He came out to my birthday party. That was very oh, nice. nice. And you know I was in the last season of that thing. And what was the involvement? What was your involvement in, in that? And how did you kind of come bring that? Because I think that for me is one of the best TV shows in the last twenty thirty years. Yeah, yeah. And wait, how did that all come together? So Sterling and I were in my kitchen. In the house I was renting up in Laurel Canyon. Oh, here. How'd you meet him, though? I met him in 2004. As a director? At a, a director. At we were a f- both directors. We had short films at Sundance. So it's going back to your short film. Yeah. So we, I had a short film there. He had his first short film at Sundance. Oh. We met up through a guy called Bird Running Water, who runs, who re- yeah, he used to work at Sundance. He yeah. used to run the, the native program, there, yeah. pulling indigenous filmmakers sure. together. Sterling and I met. And hit it off. We realized we had the exact same childhood and upbringing, but he was in Oklahoma and I was in New Zealand. Interesting. And uh, we just became best mates. And for years, we've just we've just been friends for for so long. Yeah. And then about three, four years ago, we we're in this house I was renting in Laurel Canyon, um, and we were just lamenting how our representation on screen is as always natives. as natives is always. You know, when you look, you talk to anyone about, but you know, like. What's the first thing that comes to mind when you ask someone, you know, uh, when you say the words Native American? It's always a guy on a horse, you sure. know, shirtless, feathers, feathers and all yeah. the end, paint and making noises. Yeah. And it's, which is crazy because, you know, Natives around the world have been dressing contempor- like in t- contemporary yeah. clothes for longer than they were dressing like that sure. on horses. And so, of course. And so we were like, we're never funny in things. We're never like there's, there's never never anything. It's always we're scouts and we're always like you know sitting on mountaintops talking to spirits and like yeah. Just, but by the point you had this conversation, you had done you hunt for the wilder people and and you yeah. had sort of defined a new version of New Zealand native anyway. Yeah, yeah. I, but we were talking mainly about American, yeah, American yeah, natives yeah. and. So in the kitchen that night, it was like, you know, like we were just sitting around having a couple of beers and we and realized, you know, that we both wanted the same thing. Right. And we came up with this idea about like something set on the res. We named it Reservation Dogs that night. And we said, what about something called Res Dogs? And it's about these kids. Yeah. And like, this is the things they do. And we basically pitched the idea to each other. Yeah. And I had a deal um, with uh, FX. Yeah. And... I said, I'll just, I'm going to call them up tomorrow. Yeah. I called them the next day and I said, we want to do the show. And uh, they and FX are great. And they said, love it. We'll yeah. do it. We need this. <laughs> yeah. And it was like that easy. And uh, and were you part of the original casting and everything? Yeah, casting and the writing and the first thing. But then, which and, and what they wanted originally was like, they were like, Taika, you have to direct it yeah. and this stuff. And, um, and I couldn't do it. Where, where was I? Oh, that's right. I was back in New Zealand in quarantine trying to, take my kids back to New Zealand. Yeah. And I was supposed to direct it um, from a hotel room. Huh. And it was just ludicrous. Over and Zoom? Over Zoom. Huh. And I'd carry like an iPad around and like, you know. That's crazy. So, so I could talk to the actors. It was just 
not only was that ridiculous, but also it's not my culture, it's not my people, it's not my story, really. You know, I helped sure. create the show, but that's just Sterling's world, and it's set in his hometown, and so it was always, it always should have been him directing that. So he well, t- he, he directed it, and I didn't, and I just became a producer and yeah, but, sat back. But it's interesting, that show, because I'd never seen anything like that, because there's, like you said, there's the idea of what natives are, but there's also the, you know, the, the universe of growing up like that, and that culture has an entirely different pace, timing, spirituality. Yeah. You, and, and so everything is all new. Even the, you know, just the, the timing mm. of the humor. Yeah. And it's the, same, it's the same with your early movies. But, like, the one thing I noticed, because I, I, I kind of watched them all. Uh, you, you know, uh, I've seen ones in the past, but I watched them all in, in a line. Is that you, and it's the same with Sterling, and I, I imagine it was part of why you guys are friends, is that you guys can run the weight of the world through kids. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 it's, and it's a way to make it universal and understandable, and the, limit, and the limitations are just the emotional range of children. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But the topics are all there. But also, it, it, I think looking at things through the ch- a child's lens. Yeah. Really highlights how ridiculous the grown-up world is, and the shit that oh we do God. to each other, yeah. and the things that we come up with, and even with Jojo Rabbit, you know, like the thi- like when you look at the Nazis, right? Right. You look at like the shit that they put on their uniforms. Yeah. You know. Yeah. They were a bunch of kids, yeah, like, immature kids who yeah. were like, "This is what's cool: lightning bolts and eagles, and sc- I want a skull and crossbones on my hat." Yeah. And like, you know, they were like literally, they yeah. thought this is this will be scary. So cool, and this is so cool. Yeah. And like, they were grown ups <laughs> yeah. decorating their uniforms yeah. with a skull and crossbones. Yeah. But I think, like, even like you know, boy, which I think is kind of a masterpiece, and I don't know how how well how how out there that that's gotten in terms of people seeing it, but. I mean that the father character that you play in that, mm. because that mixture of a of a kid's sense of fantasy and 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 belief that his father is this amazing person, yeah. And then when the guy finally shows up and he's a buffoon, he's a fucking loser. <laughs> but he's a clown. Yeah, you, you know he's a loser, but he's endearing. I yeah, mean, I could have yeah. made it. You know, I uh, know exactly one thing. You know one. I could have just made him just like your cliche, like asshole dad. Who's right. Just, you know, but he is trying. He's right. trying to be a cool dad. He wants to be loved. Right. And that's like, and, and I think most of those characters and most villains, I think, want to be loved. They want to be liked. They want p- people to notice them. Well, and there's a difference between. most villains. Right. There's a difference between like, you know, characterizing somebody as a heel and as somebody who's truly evil. Right. So the the doofus villain you know, always has that immaturity, right? That you, yeah. you, you kind of, you empathize for him and you realize that he's limited. Yeah. And and it comes, and I think everything, I think every villain, it all comes back to their parents. Yeah. I think it sure. comes to dad, like my dad. All the problems. I'm trying to impress my dad. Trump is still trying to impress his dead dad. I know. <laughs> it, it, but that's like all the problems, whether it's trying to impress your dad or just that they wired you in a fucked up way. Yeah. And your entire life is just trying to get your needs met that will never be met. Never. I'm still <laughs> trying to impress my dead dad. I'm still, everything I do, I'll show you. Really? <laughs> yeah. Right. What oh, was that? Look at me now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I won. <laughs> Better than you. <laughs> Well, my dad has lived long enough to to realize that I'm better than him, 
but now he's now he's losing his mind, so it doesn't stick. Oh, you're, shit. You're like, you're you're like, like, you remember this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I won, and now you don't even know it anymore. <laughs> oh my it's God. kind of funny to see him kind of drift away. I just saw I, him. I, I, well, and boy, I played my dad, basically. My dad did bury a bag of money in, in a, that in is, a field and it, never found it again. It's such a, uh, a, you know, a great comic device because initially in the movie, you don't think that he, he think he's bullshitting. Yeah. You know, and then there's just this this journey of this kid trying to help him dig this thing up. Yeah, yeah. But we used to go that to help. But yeah, he, he, he buried a bag. Of, it's, he never found it. It's still somewhere in this field back <laughs> uh, back in, in, in our community. One of these paddocks has got a bag of money buried <laughs> like, in it. A lot of like money? A, yeah, a lot of money. <laughs> that and, he got in a nefarious way? Yeah. And and it's sitting there. And that's all the the, the discontinued banknotes, so it's probably worth, worthless. But like... That's like a hundred grand sitting in a field somewhere. Really? Well, they got to make that right. And if even if it's discontinued, they got to make that right. If you <laughs> find that 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 bad, you owe it. They owe it to you. Yeah. Maybe they'll take a little bit off the top, but yeah. they, they got to give you the money. So wait. So like, did you? Was there? A, I don't know New Zealand, obviously, but is there a reservation type of culture? No, we weren't put on reservations, but yeah. we have small, like, you know, our tribal lands right. that we've always stayed on. So we were never moved around because there's just not enough room. But um, but a lot of that land for every tribe was taken. So in World War Two, we went and fought for the crown. Yeah. And every um, non-Maori soldier who returned from the war was given a parcel of land, you know, to build a house, and that was yeah. their reward for fighting, except for the people who... We're from New Zealand, so none of us got any, and we came back, and it was just. What like, was the logic on that? Uh, like, so if you fought racism, oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we're That's just it? like you guys. So the the Maori that went to war but weren't indigenous to the country. No, no, come? no, no, no. Oh no, there were no Maori who went to war who weren't from New Zealand. Yeah. So yeah, so every Maori went, and there were a lot of them. Yeah, came back to yeah. nothing, and came back to the government taking. More of their land and giving it to white soldiers, and uh, I see. And so there was a lot. There's a lot of resentment, and from that, well, we're getting into it now. From that stemmed a, a huge amount of resentment that then trickled down to their children, which is my dad's generation. Yeah. And so my dad's generation grew up very resentful of their parents, right? Who fought in the war, but who came back, and then there was a lot of alcoholism, and there was like they were like, how come? We're just losers. Yeah. And we can't, like, you know, we, can't, we don't have any land. We don't have any right. money. Right. We're not allowed to speak our language at school. And so my dad's generation rebelled against society and their parents and started, that's where all the gangs in New Zealand started, is, is around that time. Well, what and kind of gangs? How did that manifest itself? My dad was one of the founding members of a gang called Satan Slaves, which was a bike gang. So and, that's really, um, which in, is in still the movie, going today. In the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in the movie, you portray them as not really a, an organized bunch. Well, his, yeah, yeah. Well, they were, but like in the movie, I was thought I wanted to sort of poke fun at people. Uh, anyone could start a gang. Sure, you just need yeah. enough, you just need more friends. So it was modeled on the Hells Angels? Uh, um, the slaves were, were modeled on the Hells Angels and yeah. um, Headhunters and all those gangs. And then um, a lot and, of them. And then, and then another gang started called the Mongrel Mob, which is um, yeah, which is like a very big gang in New Zealand, and a lot of my family's in that. And they were not bikers, um, yeah. but yeah, that's a, that, it's a. I think so. Late sixties and all through the seventies and eighties and up until today, there was just like that was like a very big part of New Zealand uh, society with these, you know, Maori and um, that just yeah, non-white, um, 
uh, people who needed something, right? And but so, what uh, who starting starting gangs and, and creating their own world? Were they like shooting and robbing? Yeah, a lot of rumbles, a lot of you know, like yeah, so, a lot oh, so of crime. Was, lot, yeah, so there was a, a competitive territorial element. Yeah, to it. they were always fighting each other and fighting the cops. And did they have a business? Was it a shakedown business, or was it like you know the, a little bit that came later? Ah. That stuff, um, you know, they, the, when they realized that they could actually make money. Right, by, by terrorizing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So this is what you grew up in. Did he do jail time? My dad was, uh, yeah, he was in jail when my mother met him. And, really? That, um, that was their romance? Yeah, yeah. How, well, how did that she, work? Her, her, she had a friend. <laughs> yeah. She had a friend who was, um, who was giving books out to, um, to had a program going around, uh, around for prisons. prisoners? Yeah, just like, you know, introducing yeah, sure. them to different books. Yeah. She tagged along with this, with this friend of hers and um, met this guy who looked like Omar Sharif in, uh, in, in, in the prison. Dad? That was my, my old man. <laughs> and, um, you know, and he... he um, they hit it off, and then she sort of like was like, "Oh, wait for you, I guess." And then um, he got out. They got they they got together. Um, she sort of entered into that world of, oh the, uh, of the gang, and yeah. uh, you know, there's a middle class Jewish school teacher from where yeah, from from New Zealand. Yeah, her she family grew up were in originally from Russia, but like she grew up and she was born and raised in, in uh-huh. Wellington in New Zealand. Then they got together, and then he. Um, Went back, then she got pregnant. He went back to jail. He was in jail the day I was born. Yeah. And, uh, he was in and out you know, most of his life. And But that was sort of like, it's a very normal thing. When I think about it, it's like, it sounds actually like insane. But like, it was a very normal thing. And like, I think, look, for a lot of people growing up in poverty, that is a normal thing. You've always got a family member who sure. you know, yeah. goes away. And right. Like, there's that uncle. But yeah. that uncle was my dad. And, now, uh, in, in Boy, so that was your story in a way. That was very much my story. We shot in my hometown. We shot in the house I grew up in. We shot at the school I went to. We shot. There was uh, a lot of my family are in the film. Yeah. Um, all the kids and my nephews and nieces. And um, really, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was. And every location in Boy is some I've lived because, like in that movie, I think it kind of sets the stage for, you know, your sense of comedic balance and your sense of emotional balance to where. Even though there are moments in in that film where the father is clearly pathologically selfish and 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 abusive to mm-hmm. to you know his mother, you uh, your the character playing you, but somehow or another you're able to ride a line to where the empathy doesn't drift really mm-hmm. from that guy. So I, I imagine that whole movie was sort of a learning curve in terms of how you're going to have your point of view. Yeah, and um, I think we'd we'd add films like Once Were Warriors, which is a really great New yeah. Zealand film, but yeah. it's brutal to watch, and it's just one of it's like breaking the waves. It's like this just oh, relentless, yeah, 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 you know, yeah. And you're just like, oh yeah. man, and like, once every ten years, maybe I'll watch this. But like, <laughs> you know, a, a, a great film. But like, I think, you know, we especially as Māori, we've got to change the way we tell our stories, and and. and I just felt like, man, for all the fucked up shit that went on in yeah. my childhood, you know, like fighting and just people being fucking stabbed and chopped up and all sorts of crazy shit. Yeah. There's, you know, you, you, there were really fun times. Like, there's, you know, weirdly, people just laughed their way through everything well, what, and like made a lot of jokes around stuff and like, you well, know, just that the process of digging holes, digging <laughs> holes and like just make it, you know, like just really. Um, yeah, and there's something in some of the jokes are yeah even in bad taste, but at least there was humor through that time, and that's what I feel like in my films. It's like if you can pull an audience in with humor, you know, just sort of lube them up 
and you know, and then deliver the message you want. That's the, I think the ultimate way of telling a story. Of course, yeah. That there there where it's not essentially a comedy. You know that it's a different. That people don't know what to call it, but it's really just. Yeah, it, it, it's still a drama, really. It's still a drama. My films, I, I, they always say, that, "Oh, it's a comedic director." I, uh, yeah, but my films are dramas with jokes. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And, and with uh, you know characters that are deep enough to be comedic characters without losing their humanity. Yeah, there right? are great. There are great comedies which are comedy comedies. You know, sure. which is just you know wall to wall jokes. Yeah, and like, but you don't care about anyone. Yeah, you care about the characters. Even when they have that moment, we're like, oh, and there's like a supposed to be some sort of yeah, because they're not real. They're, they're not, not founded in anything. No, no. Well, I you mean, know I they're think... going to go back to being ridiculous, and you know they're going to undercut that that emotional scene with a joke at the end of it, right? And uh, d- dismantle the scene, yeah, and diminish it, yeah, yeah. Because I realized the other day that like I would say two or three of of Scorsese's heaviest movies are fucking comedies, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Good. I mean, Goodfellas is a comedy. Wolf oh, for of, sure. Right? And and Wolf of Wall Street is a Absolutely. To- totally a comedy. King of Comedy yes, is a comedy. It is a comedy. But it's gnarly. Yeah. Right? And also in, in Boy, you kind of set the standard, and not unlike Reservation Dogs, of the impact of American pop culture. I mean, the whole thing in Boy is driven by Michael Jackson, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that was what... Even as as a, a native person in in that country, that was like this thing, yeah, unavoidable. Thing. I th- we used to think we we thought Bob Marley was from a tribe down the road when I was growing up. I didn't realize he wasn't from another New Zealand. gang. Yeah, because <laughs> like everyone looked like him. Like everyone had dreads and like listened to reggae. Like New Zealand has the highest listenership of reggae per capita outside of Jamaica. And it's like the furthest away on earth that you can get. Was your and dad it's like an identity thing with like identifying with? Yeah. With people who were just just minorities, who um, you know, different who, types of natives. Yeah, was your dad? Did he do a, ever do a job or an art or what, anything? He was an artist. So he, he, he was. was a painter and a sculptor and a carver, and he oh, was so yeah, a brilliant, like, brilliant artist. It's like the movie. Yeah, He's exactly, exactly <laughs> like the movie. He wouldn't know what an outsider artist is, it was, but um, yeah, he, that's what he was. But he was he was in and out of your life, really. In and out of my life. And your yeah. mom was my always mother there. was always in my life. And, and, we, and so I lived with her mostly, and, and then we, I would live up on the coast with my grandmother or my dad. You know, when, you know, yeah, my your dad's mother. Yeah, and did, was there Jewishness in the house? Not, no, not, no, not, not really. Yeah, yeah, no, no. My mother's parents, um, they like joined the Communist Party when they were you know, you know, sure. young, when she was yeah. like born and stuff, and they were just sort of like that was the time. That Progressive was the time Jews. To not, yeah, yeah. Secular. They were like they were like. You know, religious on the side. Yeah, yeah. You, know, you, you identify, but you don't need y- to yeah, yeah. put the work in. <laughs> Lazy Jews. <laughs> well, you know, you, you do it a little bit. Yeah. Enough to oh, keep when it your, counts. <laughs> because enough to you know, keep your Jewishness because yeah. no matter. Your Jewish card. Yeah, exactly. And no matter how much you engage, you're still a Jew at the end. So oh, for sure. If, if yeah. they come after and no you. And no matter how much you disengage, yeah. you're still Jewish. Sure. So, but you started in stand-up, basically. Yeah, I started, and well, my background is painting, so I was, you know, I was, painting. I, I, I was painting pictures, and that's all I wanted to do. Well, you then, went to, did you go to school for that? Uh, yeah, I did a few. Not, not a painting, not an art school. Yeah, but um, painted with a bunch of people, and like. So it was know, what it, you wanted to do. It was what I wanted to do. My dad was a painter, so I was like, oh, I'm gonna be like, yeah, him. yeah. And then, um, and so I did a lot of that, I've, probably until the end of my thirties. Yeah. But, oh, wow. um, but yeah. I started getting into theater with uh, very early on. My mother, my mother and my father, um, you know, which is one thing I really love about them. They never 
pressured me to do anything but art. They wanted me to do art. They wanted yeah. me to be. Like, That's the she best. She wanted me to be, to be acting and to be writing and to be creative. My dad wanted the same, and I think oh, they yeah. would have been disappointed if I'd chosen another path. And so I was just only encouraged to do that. My mother was a school teacher, and she would like for punishment. She'd give me two options. Really. Yeah. You'd be grounded or you can um, write an essay on this William Blake poem. And I was like, I'd rather be grounded. She says, nah, just read the poem and like, tell me about it. And well, it's like, funny. Yeah. Given those two people, they, you know, if they were disciplinarian or forced you into something else, it wouldn't stick because you could just be like, look at you. Yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> well, that's um, great, though, that they made you do that. It's fantastic. And, and, I, and I'm really thankful for that because growing up, there was just no other option. There was no other... I didn't have a backup plan. Right. So, you know, so then I got into theater and did a lot of plays and stuff through my youth and yeah. through my 20s. And that's when and when I went to university, I met Jermaine and Brett, and we started writing plays together and we put them on because no one else would hire us. I got to be honest with you. Like, I never really locked into Flight of the Concords, you know, mm. but watching Jermaine in uh, Eagle versus Shark and in What We Do in the Shadows. I'm like, holy shit, this guy's hilarious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, I is, mean, I- he is the funniest guy I know. He's the best writer I know. He's just one of the, yeah, he's, he's one of the great. And who's Brett? Is he the other? Brett, he's the other guy from Fire Fly the Corn Yeah, 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 I, yeah. I, I, another I, brilliant guy. But you guys were like a team or a, a improv yeah, or you know, sketches like, um, or... You know, I'm not suggesting that we're the same as Monty Python, but they all met at university. It was that kind of vibe. We so all you were doing... together doing... Short different films. little things, short films and little things together. And and uh, Wellington at the time was just a hive of creativity and there were a lot of th- cool people and cool writers and cool artists coming out of there. But did you do like Edinburgh or anything yeah, with yeah, those guys? Yeah, Edinburgh. Yeah, with we the, did, the, we did the Fringe yeah, in August. Yeah, we went and did that. Me and Jermaine went and did that. Jermaine and Brett did that a couple of years. Um, and um, they won the Perrier one year and... At that time, I was like just getting into f- interested in film. Never solo stand up or anything like that. I just solo stand up. You did a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In but, New uh, Zealand, not, not in, in, in New Zealand, and then um, and then various places, just like as a kind of off the cuff thing. But I did that, and but then a lot of it was also like, um, you know, the sort of when it, yeah when when it was trendy to be doing anti comedy, you know, which is like yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah. I know. Like, I, I, like, I can't, I can't. I can't. Uh, it's, 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 and now when I think back about it, I'm like, fuck this. Well, to me, I've met those guys, and they're always kind of the same. You're like, so why don't you just suck it up and do the work? Just do the work, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, stop stop, stop failing on on purpose (laughs) because you're you're too scared of uh, of actually not doing the work. What was your act like? Uh, It was like more like it was um, it was like a lot of stand up, but with sort of. a more of a theatrical version of that, you know, I'd be telling a joke and then the I'd get then the the microphone would be turned down, yeah, yeah, just go silent, and then my thought recorded thought would come over. And like, oh, what am I doing? I hate this. I'm not good at this. Okay. Oh, that's you know, funny. No, yeah, and yeah. they're like talking. You know, like, they're all watching me. I, what, I, wish I should have been a dancer. This is way easier than this. I can't even write a joke. Like, you're a fraud. You're a fucking fraud. And then, and then they would the come up. They might come up like, and that is what yeah, she said about that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah oh, that's yeah. funny. So, so almost a cinematic device already. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and when you did the short film that you met Sterling during Sundance, that was what kind of put you on the map. As yeah, that was two cars one night, and that was um, that was the first short I did, and then it got nominated for an Oscar, which was lost, but it was the thing that made me feel like maybe I should continue doing this. Because yeah, it's a, you know, and your parents I'm, were I'm, thrilled. 
Yeah, they were thrilled. They were, you know, my dad was like, "Well, you you really put our naming out. You're putting our name out there. That's good." And my mother, your of, name of course, did he ever go like, "Well, you get any money?" Yeah, <laughs> no, no, no. He had the money. Oh, he did. Good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He had the money. He had so much money, he, he could afford to bury it in places and never find it again. <laughs> and then the eagle versus shark was the first feature? That was the first feature, yep. And How that, do you feel about that, looking back on it? I haven't seen it in so long. Yeah. So I made this short, Two Cars, One Night, which was sort of like Boy. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I made that, and then, and then I wrote a script for Boy. Right. But I was very scared about making that as my first film because I didn't want to fuck that up. And so, like, I I, I put that to the side and yeah. then I wrote the script, Eagle vs. Shark, super fast um, with my girlfriend at the time, Lauren. And yeah. she and I basically just worked on the story and then made this film very, very fast. And, um, and, and it was like I wanted to just get that out of the way just make a film a so i've done it you know and then i could like understand my limitations what the problems could be you know and and then and what were they well i just realized like that you need more time um than you think and yeah. just understanding because i'm I directed like three things yeah know, tiny little things and so right. i needed to understand like what what it was like to be shooting for this long and for, to edit an entire thing as well and like what yeah so it was more like a test it was interesting because like what it reminded me of in terms of tone because like very quickly after that with boy you definitely found an emotional place that was authentic and and with the characters in in eagle versus shark it was almost like a a, a type of independent film at the time like napoleon dynamite or something yeah yeah yeah, yeah. where you yeah. have these you know, kind of peculiar eccentric characters mm. that have them an emotional life, but it's it's limited. But because they're you know peculiar, you know they kind of carry the movie, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you and you kind of yeah you know, because they're in you know, for lack of a better word nerds. Yeah, you know, sure. Who, who who don't run the world, but you're in their world. You you know you're willing to like give them a chance. Yeah, you know, like, yeah, even yeah. Though, like, yeah. Their decisions and the way that they interact and stuff start, but the family, start to piss you off. Right, you know, you're like, God, just can you just be fucking normal? <laughs> normal can you yeah. just talk to each other like normal grown-ups? You know, and but you know, it, it's been, it was funny though the twist in that though the family stuff and you know, oh, just yeah. the but again, like right there and and I and it goes all the way through all the work there. You know, at the core of it is is grief. I mean, like every movie, dude. Everything that I've made, the core is grief or dad issues. Right. And it's like, you know, or, or there's something that it's about. Like, boy is a comedy about child abuse or yeah. child neglect. Uh, Hunt for the Wilder People is um, my film about the foster system in New Zealand, the foster care system, and about children being neglected again. And, and it, But and, right and, at the and, beginning, it's, you know, it's grief. Yeah. For bo- the two characters in that movie— you know, not just because of the treatment in the foster care system of that kid, but also the one person that he liked dies almost immediately. Yeah, exactly. And it's and it's uh, uh, Sam Neill's wife. Yeah. So they're just wandering through the wilderness. Not knowing how to talk to each other because the glue, the one person that grounded right. them is gone. And they're both grieving. Yeah. And and why why where does that come from? What's the, I mean, I understand the dad stuff, but the grief stuff, I mean— um. You know, I don't. I think I just find people fascinating, and I find that you know we come from a so 
So Maori culture, right? When, when people die, we, yeah. we go through a long grieving process. It's a big deal. And, and, and there's it a tradition a to it? Time. Yeah, there's a tradition what to is it. it. Well, it's an open casket, and people come from miles around to the tribal yeah. grounds, yeah. and you sit with the body yeah. for a whole week. And it's just, you just sit there and you cry and you laugh and you tell stories eat. about them. You eat and you know, and the people fight and people get drunk and people, you know, and you go through all of these stages of grief yeah. while you're sitting there. And it fascinates me that no, like you know, very few Western cultures do that. You know, in Ireland, I think they do that. You know, people sits in the Jews house. Jews do stuff the like, shiver thing. Yeah, but like this thing is like a. It can often be mayhem. You know, it's just like just <laughs> the, shit goes down. People fighting over the coffee. People want it coming in, wanting to take the body to another. The tribal land to bury it there because you know, he had ancestors from that place. Yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of fucking crazy oh, craziness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, my dad built his own tomb, and like that was a big deal. Yeah, did that he, was a massive. They put deal. him in it. Yeah, I put him in it. Yeah, and uh, you know, you don't do that. You know, you're supposed to be buried with everyone else. And yeah, he, and I was like, he didn't want to be buried with you guys. What did he, the tomb look like? It was like a concrete bunker. And yeah. he had like a Dracula sort of, uh, you know, sarcophagus thing. And I said, really? oh, he was building it. I said, what are you doing? He said, oh, I'm building my sarcophagus. And I'm like, are you dying? He said, no, I'm just getting ready. He goes, I want to put some beds in here for you and your brothers. And I was like, fuck, I'm not, there's no way I'm being in here, I'm being put in here with you. And, um, and when did he die? He died in 2015. But it's just like, it I mean, just, this is what I'm talking about, these this, like larger than life stories that which really amazing, like, which are great cinematic moments yeah. is where I find the fascin my fascination with family yeah. and like, you know, because in families there's heroes, villains, there's like twists and turns, yeah. there's plot twists, there's all sorts of, yeah, there's ridiculous moments. He built his own, you know, that, what do you call that? A square that you put a coffin in. What's uh, that called? Is that, is that a sarcophagus? Maybe. I mean, I think it's a sarcophagus. Like think, I'm, I'm thinking about Dracula, you know, the big, with a concrete top. Yeah, yeah. And then you, you move it across to get to the body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I maybe. mean, I, I I think it is maybe a sarcophagus. Anyway, he built that for himself. Well, and, when? Uh, How old are you? This was like about three, two years before he died. Oh, okay. Three so he was older. This yeah, was his project. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is his little project. And, yeah. Uh, what did he die of? Uh, heart attack. Yeah. And uh, anyway. You anyway, put him in there. Anyway. You put him the in there. The coffin didn't fit. No. <laughs> he made it wrong? He made it too short. So what'd you do, get a new coffin or just... Sawed the ends off the coffin. <laughs> and he's in there. He's in there. <laughs> How many siblings do you he's have? He's in there with his motorbikes. Yeah, you put the bikes in on yeah, top? Yeah, but the door was too too small. For the bikes? Yeah, so I just so dis dismantled a fucking Harley and a Triumph, reassembled them inside his tomb. And then seal the thing. But, but I mean, I, I I think the testament to whatever the dynamic was is that you needed to finish. You you needed to make it work. This guy gave left me with a DIY project that I wouldn't wish upon anyone. <laughs> now I'm like, why don't you leave me some money? Why don't you leave me the bikes? You got to go find it. And they're like, I'm like, I'm like, oh great, these are my bikes. And my uncle's like, no, 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 they're going in. They're going inside too. You could have. <laughs> You could have just said, fuck it. You could have just said, fuck it, kept those bikes them. and just, just despite you, them. You didn't. I don't want this guy haunting me. Yeah. Like, how many siblings do you have? Uh, two younger brothers. So were they all helping sister. out with the... No. no. No, no, they didn't help out. No. No. It was me and my uncle. Two me and my two uncles pouring concrete and making a concrete slab to go over the top of his rectangle thing. Yeah. And then putting these fucking bikes back Did together. Did you have the, the people tomb. come? Did everyone come? And... Well, it was like, it's, a very, it's, not a, it's not a thing. To build your own tomb, it oh, turns so, out. So, like, uh, everyone was a big, you know, it's a big issue. 
you know, the whole community came and yeah. Like, yeah, after we put them in there, we sawed the ends off the fucking cough, put the things in, like covered it up and shit. And like, yeah, then everyone came down with some rose petals to have a look inside. Yeah. And every single person was like, hey, shit, that's a pretty fucking good idea. I yeah. like this. I like a tomb. So yeah, no, man. Maybe, yeah. I can, yeah, maybe I'll make my own tomb. Uh, who knows mate, who's building tombs now? Maybe he just started the trend of tomb ch- building. Changed the whole culture. Yeah. <laughs> He just just went against tradition. We were supposed to be all be buried together on a hill. Yeah, and he was like, "I'm not being buried with those motherfuckers." Yeah. We wanted to be special. Yeah, yeah. Well, I remember him telling me about it. And he said, uh, "I said I'm not going to be buried in here with you psychos." And he goes, "Well, are you sure? Because there's going to be a secret tunnel that only three people know about." Like, yeah, he really was like thought he was like an Egyptian, right? You know, fucking king. And he was like, "Yeah, I'm going to be buried in there with all my treasures." And like, and I was like. A secret tunnel? Yeah. Like, that's, that's already giving me anxiety. Like that my ghost wouldn't even be able to get out of there. I'd be stuck in there with you. So no secret tunnel. He didn't finish that part? He didn't finish the tunnel. Well, thank God. Well, at least that, maybe that's where you got your imagination. I think so, because he was a very, it was a larger than life character. And all those big, big stories from those times back in the 70s and 80s, and I grew up around that. And yeah. Those gangs and stuff and like just crazy characters. And I think that's where I got that. Just that fascination with, like, you know, with with people and what people are capable of, and not only like, you know, like amazing achievements, but the, the damage people can do to each other, yeah, and, yeah, and what they can do to, to themselves. And you don't feel like you have resolution around your relationship with that guy. You know, I think um, I, I sometimes I think when he died, I thought. I wish I'd, you know, is there anything I wish I'd said to him for some closure? Yeah. And I thought about it and I thought, actually, no, there's nothing I think I needed to say. Yeah. And, you know, what well, the cool thing is, I think we got our resolution when I was finished boy um, and the crew had left town and I was hanging out there and I went up to see him and he lives on a, he lived on a, um, our, our house is up on this hill and it's like a hawk breeding ground. Yeah. And so the hawks get hit on the road all the time. They come down to, you know, get a dead yeah. animal off the off the road, and they get hit by cars. Yeah. And so my dad started taking care of these injured hawks. Yeah. And so my uh, my my cousin dropped off this you know this wounded hawk to him, and he um and he was building a cage for this thing. Yeah. And I went up there as I finished boy, and everyone left, and so I just went up to say goodbye. I saw that he was building his cage, so I just helped him out. And it was one of those great, again, another cinematic moment. We never said a word to each other, just built this big cage, put the chicken wire all around yeah. it, put some some twigs in there for the animal to sit on, threw in some dead rabbits. And then like we nailed in the last nails, put the hawk in there, yeah. and we closed the, the, the cage. And sort of just stood back and just looked at it, not saying anything. And then he just sort of just did that thing where he just puts his hand on my shoulder, just gives me like two taps. He goes, dut, dut. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this motherfucker loves me. <laughs> and I was like, that's our closure. Uh, that's it. I was like, oh, that's good. That's what I wanted. That's what I wanted for 33 years. <laughs> two taps. Uh, just two taps on the shoulder. And that, yeah, the two taps can tell you a lot. Yeah, for sure. Because you, know? you feel the weight of the moment. Yeah. Already. And, you know, and it was like, you're basically mute. You can't, yeah. you can't express anything to me yeah. other than these two taps on, on the shoulder. And it was like the two tap, but the second tap was a tiny squeeze. You know yeah, that one? Oh, there goes, squeeze. Dit, dit, yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. And that was That's good. meaningful. That's for, great. For, for people. But, but but you're like the opposite of that. You go. You I talk. Hug. I hug it out. Yeah, I talk. Yeah. I kiss every person I get in their space. You know, I'm like an HR nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like just <laughs> grabbing people all over town. Well, what was your mom? Was your mom emotional? Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. She wanted to talk so everything out. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's good. That's yeah. why Jews are good for that. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, yeah, I'm, I feel guilty about something and I want to ruin your day by talking yeah, about yeah. it. Yeah, let's, let's get it out there. Let's, yeah, yeah. let's, let's process it. This is good for you for yeah. me to talk about me. Yeah. Did, did your dad see Boy? He saw Boy. Yep, he saw Boy. He was very proud of it. Oh, you yeah. know, and he knew yeah, it was yeah. about him. He knew all that. He was like, oh, my God. He was embarrassed about a few things. But yeah. he saw the... <laughs> The humor in it all, you know. And he's he's like, embarrassed, I can't not put, mad. I can't believe you put that than... fucking story about my bag of money in this fucking movie for everyone to see. Yeah, but he's probably more worried that people would wonder where it was, and he wouldn't be able to find <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, 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 exactly. Why'd you tell anybody about that? Oh my god, he did these. This basically, I love, I love talking about this stuff. He, um, he had this other crazy, crazy idea of, uh, of basically like, um, of farming. Lobster and sea urchins, which yeah, is our, like sure. our, our main food back down there. Yeah, and so like we live right on the ocean, and he got these diggers, and he was digging these trenches to put the seawater down into these big, long, big, you know, giant pits. Yeah, that was yeah, that we're going to become like yeah. these, uh, yeah, these ocean um, farming areas. Yeah. He was digging and digging and digging, and he dug up uh, about thirty bodies. Come on, thirty skeletons from like. Six or seven hundred years ago. ago. Was it a burial ground or a shipwreck or so what? Back in the day when people battled, um, yeah. where you died is where you were left. Right. And so down on the beaches were the, the areas for yeah. a lot of battles, a lot of, you know, like a lot of fights. And that sort of like, was like the way that Māori fought, like, yeah. the beach and like have it out. Yeah. But when you died, you, yeah, in those days, yeah. you were untouched and you just, the bodies would just sink into the sand and yeah. that was it. So he found fucking 30 of these fucking people. Yeah. And he was like, this is getting right in the way of my project of farming lobster <laughs> and sea urchins. Yeah. So he chucked all the bones away. And yeah. Like, and then he's like, he didn't believe in ghosts and shit, but he was like, I knew I'd done something wrong. I keep waking up, some fucking old woman was sitting on the end of my bed, like, staring at me. <laughs> I was like, is that a ghost? He's like, uh, I guess so. So anyway, he went, he went and told the elders and stuff, and they, in fact, got all the bones together and gave it a proper burial. And all really? The ghosts, and the ghosts went away. But like, that was his, his mindset was like, these fucking old dead bodies are just in the way of my money-making scheme. So, so the lobster farm never happened. <laughs> never happened. <laughs> These trenches just I sat like the, there. He commits, though, that guy. Oh, he commits. But you imagine that, digging up a human skull and being, oh, fuck oh, it. Fuck no one can yeah. see. Fuck yeah, this yeah. shit and uh, throwing it away. How many are there? <laughs> Another one? Oh, 30? <laughs> That's crazy. But uh, so when you did... Um, what we do in the shadows. I mean, like, did you feel like that was a big departure or like, you know, that was just for a funny, you know, I mean, what, what? It was a departure that was also, but again, that film is about grief and well, the yeah, grief of like the loss of your own life. And, you know, and also the eternity, like, the eternity of learning, living forever. Yeah. Which is like a lot of people, are like, I wish I could live forever. No, you don't. Because humans are so lazy. Yeah. They, they could, like, that's why the, the great joke, jokes in that is, like, yeah. you know, I've read these books. There's like yeah. eight of them. And, so, and they're not very good at instruments. Because, like, when you live forever, you're going to put it off. Yeah. I'll learn to play violin next year. Yeah. And uh, there's plenty of time. And so the great um, character though was the really old vampire. Oh, yeah, he didn't yeah, do Peter. anything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was one of my favorite jokes. But in they that. all kind of respected to him. Respected him. One of my favorite jokes in that that took a long time for, to to decide if we should put in the film was uh, Deacon, the character who goes and he says in the early 
early parts of the film, he said, I don't know if you know this, but uh, I was a Nazi vampire. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's <laughs> footage of him. Like, yeah, and he goes, they recruit, they rounded up the vampires and made them become Nazis. <laughs> and uh, then he's like, uh, and then what he says is, well, anyway, after that war was over, he goes, I don't know if you know this, but those Nazis, they lost that war. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we tested that in America, and people were like, what the fuck, man? Of course we know that, because we fucking kicked their asses. Oh, you really? know, they, yeah. they, they, they thought it was in bad taste to put that joke in there. Yeah. And I was like, no, the point is, he's lived so long, he's seen... 12 Holocaust. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> he was like, I don't right, know if right. you know about that just war. another one. Those yeah. guys, they lost that war. Sure. You know, and yeah, yeah. Uh, that was the kind of, kind of joke. It was like, if you live long enough, you see people repeating the same Did shit. Did you leave it in? We left it in. Yeah, We yeah. left it in. We thought, you know what? Eventually, you'll get it. Yeah, and I, when I watched it, I didn't know what to expect because, you know, I, like, I'm not a horror guy. I'm not necessarily a vampire guy, but the conceit somehow or another because it was so funny, it worked. Yeah, like, I'm not a way- horror guy. And, and, yeah, you know, I used to love watching vampire films, but yeah. the reason we made it was because vampires were so unpopular as a, like in film at the yeah. time. It's like vampires nobody were wanted so vampires. Stupid. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I was like, oh yeah, vampires are actually pretty lame. Like when you think about it, like they just sit around by themselves, yeah. dressing yeah. up how they used to dress, yeah, with no years real ago, friends, no real friends, yeah. talking about the same shit. Just like so, you just put a bunch of them together. They think they're very cool. Yeah, but they're. <laughs> The least cool monsters there are. The, the, uh, yeah, you feel bad for them all. Yeah. Yeah, it was very funny. What was your, did you have experience with the foster system? I mean, with the Hunt for the Wilder People? I mean. I didn't, know, but there's, yeah, there, there are a lot of sad stories in New Zealand about kids who went through yeah. the foster system. That kid was great. You're very good at casting kids. You know what? Everyone thinks I love working with kids. I don't. Yeah. It's very hard to it work is. with kids. They're yeah. just, they're but you do it all the time. The I do it all the time because, like, also here's my secret. Yeah. Like, here's my secret. Yeah. I cast the kids. Yeah. I use them. Yeah. They get great performances, and then they're kind of ruined. And so <laughs> I sort of toss them and get a new one. Is <laughs> that some kind fault. of weird, is that abuse? Because you I find that they that. learn tricks. Kids, yeah. you know, you look at Hollywood kids, you know, yeah. they learn tricks in their early jobs, and it just ruins their performances. Then they're just like, then, Later, they're, then they're actors. After the first and movie, actor kids, yeah, but like non-actor kids are the best. They're yeah, so great, like natural. They don't know that there are tricks. So usually, you did you cast non-actor kids? Always cast non-actors. Huh? Um, yeah. Every, Where'd you oh, find that kid in Wilder People? He was. Uh, he just lived in Wellington, and I ended up <laughs> doing a. He just came in for some casting for a commercial I did, yeah. and I thought he was fantastic, and I just cast him on the spot for my film. Yeah. And um, and he was amazing. He, he was, was like he was. I like, and he also he hated nature. Yeah, he uh, he was the kid. He like he was a <laughs> yeah. city kid. Right, would go out into the woods and stuff. And I say, okay, I, was like, I want you to sit here on this log. And he's looked yeah. at the log and there'd be like a spider web on it. He's yeah. like, oh, I don't think my character would sit on that log. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And that and that and Sam had it seemed like he had a great time doing that. Sam was fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was great. It was good for him to come back to New Zealand, where he belongs. Yeah, and do some work. Yeah, he, I talked to him uh, during the pandemic. It was a great conversation. He's kind of a, a beautifully cranky dude. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. He's seen it all. I mean, yeah. he was in Hunt for the Red October. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's been around. He was Damien in Omen Three. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, the older Damien. The older yeah, the grown Damien. up Damien. I always give him shit about that. I'm like, hey, when you were doing Omen 3, 
Yeah, what was your character's what was the motivation in that? When to be the Antichrist. And Event Horizon, the other great Sam Neill yeah. film, Event Horizon. Yeah. Yeah, he's great. He's a great actor. Now, my late uh, uh, partner was a director, Lynn Shelton. Yes. I don't know if you've met each other somewhere, but uh, but she was she would try to get me to watch Ragnarok all the time. Because <laughs> I'm not a Marvel guy. She's like, no, but Taika did it, and it's different, and you, you'll like it. I'm like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, then, uh, and then I watched it, and I liked it. You know, I, I, And I have no sense of Marvel. And do you feel that – was that a good experience for you? It was a great experience. I didn't really have this I, – I, I, I read a lot of comic books when I was a kid. Sure. Thor, admittedly, wasn't one of them. But, um, you know, I was aware of Marvel and what they were doing, and I was enjoying – I loved Iron Man, and I was enjoying those films. Yeah. But it wasn't anything on my radar. It wasn't anything that I yeah, felt yeah. I was going to end up doing. I mean, look at my films, you know. Yeah. Nothing says, oh, this is a trajectory to go and do Thor. Yeah. So, but I thought, this is an opportunity to learn something, to learn about studio systems and how they make big films. Yeah. And also an opportunity to get some money, because I just had my second kid. And, yeah. And, uh, you know. Sure, we need money for the kids. So, um, so I went and did it, and I had a great experience, and they were fantastic to me, and um, and made a lot of great friends, you know, on, on that project. So, yeah, how was it received? Fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was very, very so, well received. Uh, so, did you write the script? Uh, no, I did a lot of passes on the script. And okay, my, and my process on, on on the day is like make a lot of shit up and right and, and improvise or throw ideas at the actors. And because I felt like it, it again had some humanity to it. I don't know how they usually are because I don't. I really don't watch a lot of them. Mm, but yeah. it seemed like there was that balance of comedy and self awareness. Yeah, yeah. And, well, when you th- look at Thor, right? He's a uh, He's a billionaire, trillionaire kid who yeah. lives in outer space. You yeah. know, he's like lives in a castle in and outer space. He's so disconnected from the rest of the universe, and that—that's the thing that. But like everyone else, like it's very hard to relate to a character like that. But like everyone else, he wants to impress his dad, and his dad dies in that one. And right? His dad dies in that one, and without him finally impressing him, yeah, you know, and he's like, and that's really the heart of the story. Yeah, that his dad died. Again. Before he got a chance to show him how good he could be, and then the but the the, the I guess the, the other one came later. You know that one. Like I don't know my see I because I don't know Marvel movies. Like uh, you know in the second Thor, you, you know, I guess some people were like the CGI was different or there was issues around certain things. I don't know what your experience in, was in, in what one in in uh, in uh, Love and Thunder. Right, 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 right. Yeah, but you know there was like Marvel freak out around it. Yeah, yeah, with, yeah. With uh, with the nerds, but for me, like I don't have any concept of any of that. And when I when the black and white thing happened, I'm like, oh, this is an homage. To uh, to George Melies and the Man in the Moon. Oh this is, my God! This is like yeah, yeah. yeah, and this is like Tyke is doing this on purpose. But I don't know what your intention was. But I was looking at it cinematically. Oh yeah, like, on the moon. Yeah, yeah. Can you imagine that? And right now, I'm like, oh yeah, I get that. <laughs> Black and white on the moon. Right. Shit, I might as well give him that moon a face. Yeah, right. And had the bullet go right into its eye. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But Jojo Rabbit like goes back to your uh, some sort of fascination with the the. Uh, almost childishness of Nazis. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And look, you know, we all love Schindler's List, and we sure. all love those films. Heavy. But I, we, but just heavy again, heavy. Yeah, sure. I probably I could watch Schindler's List maybe once every sort of again once every ten years maybe, maybe yeah, five yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. But I think you know, obviously the the conversation needs to keep happening. When you keep talking about this, you know, this like, and what it came from is like there was a Guardian 
poll that they did in America, and yeah. um, I'm, you can find out the stats. Someone else can find sure. out the stats. Um, it's easy to find out. But they asked uh, people under 20 yeah. um, uh, these questions, and I think like 57% of people under 20 had never heard of the Holocaust. Yeah, it's it, and like sixty five had never heard of Auschwitz, and and that was like ten years ago. But I used to do. A, I had a line about the future, maybe twenty, thirty years ago, where I'm like, it's going to get to the point where where kids are going to be like, oh wait, Hitler's the guy with the mustache, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And the whole thing when that war ended was never forget. Yeah. And we're forgetting, and so like, we have to keep telling that story. We have to keep these. You know, we. If people are like, oh, another Nazi movie. Yeah. Well, we have to keep doing it because clearly people right. are remembering. And, but we have to keep doing it in different ways and like pulling the audience in with humor, right. with lightness, and then showing them how ridiculous. And kids, those kids and were, kids. again, you know, sort of gifted kids. But like it does, it, you know, having Hitler as an imaginary friend because you're so bought into the Nazi thing and the acceptance of the Nazi thing and wanting to be part of it and all that. And this kid, what is he, 10, 11? Yeah, yeah. And also Hitler can only know what an 11-year-old knows because right. it comes from his brain. Right. And and to have a clown Hitler, I mean, that hasn't happened in a while. No. You know, not since no. the producers probably and some are, people are were Nazi. like, oh, in bad taste. I'm like, hang on, someone was doing it in 1939. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Chaplin. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so, but, but, it, but it was different because it was the conception of the kid and the kid's own self-judgment. And also having an absent father yeah. that yeah. was a mythological being yeah. Yeah. in a way. So Hitler was the best thing he can conjure up. Yeah. And he yeah. was a sweet kid. Yeah, there was a, it was a delicate balance there, and it doesn't yeah, really— uh, It's really fascinating as well. You know, 9-11, a lot of kids don't know what that is. They know this thing called 9-11. Right. But there are kids who don't know what happened. There's you no know? collective sense of history anymore. You know, everything is happening all at once. So if no one's giving context to anything, you're only going to see clips of things. Yeah. You're not going to know what it is or what it represents or why it happened or how it happened or the policy that went involved and what. You, you know, who's going to know any of that? I guess it's for me growing up and seeing Platoon and being like, I don't know what this is. What is this Vietnam War? You right, and like, sure. It's like, it's like, you know, seeing clips from it and my memory of Vietnam, even though I wasn't even alive, is – Old like grainy footage, of yeah. people running around and like you know, yeah. and, like torpedoes and like you know, like the, the napalm and stuff. And, yeah, but I don't know, and I'm like you know, and I feel it's it's interesting, and even um like even the even the Bosnian War, yeah, you know, when that like that's yeah. the one that nobody knows about, but and also, that was the biggest like the biggest example of people being horrible to each other since since World War Two, like, uh, you know, yeah, the, the, and they the were neighbors, and neighbors. they were neighbors, yeah. Well, I mean, it also, depending on where you grow up culturally, like I noticed that even if I travel to Canada, that I get a tremendous amount of relief because the psychic cancer that yeah. is pervading America, it's, it, they know about it, but it isn't their life. Yeah. So, you know, so I think a lot of times what you know is relative to your personal history. And then the rest is sort of like, you know, you pick and choose. Yeah. Or yeah. somebody contextualizes something. That is interesting because, like, you know, especially like... I don't know what, really what this is, but like you know, around the world, there's this idea that like you must know about everything. Yeah, and you must have a comment, you must have an opinion, and know about every single thing going on. I'm like, okay, well, how many of you know about the things that Maori have gone through in New Zealand? Right. How many of you know about you know the land wars in the 1800s and what we went through? How many right. of you know that it was illegal to you know to speak our language yeah. in school? How many of you know about what we lost? No one. 
You know, and they, and they, but you be expected to jump on someone's side, you know, whenever something's on Instagram when, or something. Right. You know, it's like you need to be on the right when the global yeah. culture decides, yeah. when the momentum picks, when the algorithm, yeah, that dictates, you know, what we're supposed to know is important, yeah. decides collectively what is important. Then all of a sudden, everyone's up. And I live in this is an Armenian neighborhood. They and they've gone through horrendous history. I'm not real clear on it, but I yeah. respect the fact that, like, all right, hey, something bad happened. Yeah. Asking minorities to to care about other minorities is, uh, yeah, we should, but it's a, it's it's just a funny thing where it's like, you know, I understand, I understand a little bit like why some minorities they go, oh, okay, you're making a big deal about that. What about us? Well, yeah, but that's what you've taken upon yourself to to tell your own stories. Right. So and that's what's interesting about the reservation dog sting yeah. is that, you know, you understood that the experience of indigenous people was was common but different. And and the perception of those people was limited at best and that you had the, now had the power to tell the stories the way you wanted to and in, in a way that was authentic to your experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it makes such a fucking difference. I mean, I can't shut up about like, you know, I'm the one who, when I told Sterling, I'm like, you got anything for me? I want to be part of this. Amazing. Awesome. And he put me in it that third season. It was great. But to be on a set that's all native and yeah. to see them, you know, have the, the freedom of mind and the freedom of creativity to do that and work together, it, you, you could feel the kind of elevation, the mm. pride of having the opportunity and the ability to play on the big field, right? Yeah, yeah. That was fucking great, man. But this new movie, which I watched as well, I'm, I'm, I, it's so funny when I actually do my homework how I, I, need to, <laughs> I need to pride myself on it. By the way, I did all my research. You on, did? Yeah, this I, is the first, you're the only person who's ever done it. <laughs> really? Well, no, I, I, I got... One time, someone when I was casting for something, I think yeah. I was casting for Jojo Rabbit, and someone said, "Oh, this actress, she's a massive." Their agent got mm-hmm. She's a huge fan of your work. She really oh, yeah. wants to meet. Blah, blah, blah. And I went and had breakfast with her, and she said, "So I've heard about your work, and I yeah. can't wait to see something." Yeah. Well, oh, they, God, yeah, the, son the, of a bitch. Some people come here and they act like you know I really like the show, and then the ones that they name, I'm like, "Oh, you just listened to two last week, didn't you?" You, just, <laughs> you know. My but favorite I, one was the Kim um, Kim Deal. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know, but I I know almost always I have, you know, a good conversation, mm-hmm. and then like it goes away for me, and my producer deals with it. Yeah. So I, he becomes my memory. Like I literally like, what would I talk about that? Because I'm in it. Yeah. But this one again, next goal wins. I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but it's another you know beautiful movie. Grief. Uh, exactly. But you don't know it. Yeah. Yeah. And and you and the turn is is kind of in, in it's intense. And, and the story, you know, being that it's a true story, and I like all this sort of Maori stuff, you know, that the, the rituals are getting up to games and the sort of strange way that they handle a kind of structured ritual of competition, mm-hmm. you know, with other teams. Because I imagine all that's real, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, New Zealand, like, I, here's the, I come from like a rugby playing nation. And I don't know that much about, about soccer, to be yeah. honest. But, um, but what I wanted to do was to, is to make a film with Pacific Islanders on it. And yeah. like, that's what my, you know, I just wanted to come back home, come back to the Pacific and just put, you know, yeah, put brown people on screen again and, you know, and, and come back. And, and, and it was just so nice to be in Hawaii with Samoans and Maori and like, everyone together making this film about, and it's such a crazy true story too. Like the idea of the shame of a team losing 31-0, and that's still the record for the biggest international loss in soccer, 31-0 
to Australia. Yeah. That's like a goal every three minutes. Yeah, it, it's crazy. But what's interesting is the this the kind of team spirit and the the island pride, you know, kind of balanced with that guy that you use a few times. What's his name? The guy who plays the owner of the team or the Oh yeah, yeah, Oscar. Oscar Oscar, Oscar Carly, yeah. That that his disposition was it was really about the esteem of the kids, you know, over the idea of winning. Yeah. So it just became, you know, uh, a, a tribal um, kind of uh, responsibility, a service. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. the kids have something to focus on, right? And that character kind of balances the whole thing all the way through. Yeah, I think Oscar is actually the, probably the most important part of that right in, in a way yeah you know he's trying to pull these two worlds together yeah and keep them you know keep them from falling apart and you don't really know why michael fassbender's character makes a choice to to that he did and it sort of unfolds but you know you you do have a hard time empathizing with him for a while oh yeah 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 well there's a fascination and, a, and, a, and an obsession with making characters likable at the moment you know you've got to have a likable character you know look at um you know the last detail Jack, Nichols Jack, Jack Nicholson's that. character is not a nice guy throughout the entire movie. He yeah. doesn't do one nice thing. Yeah. But he's the most watchable character, and I like him. Well, that was interesting where you have the the sort of rules and and the job, you know, playing against the, the, the unavoidable empathy that they're both kind of having. And ultimately, it doesn't really win out. Yeah. When they're when they're taking Randy to, you know, across the country, and it's just but it's just the perfect you know. Yeah, setup. and they did everything and they like, could for the kid. They did, yeah. But they still had to do their duty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and then when they walk away from it, it's almost as if it just goes away. Yeah, they're like, well, that was that one, right? Exactly. But with yours, I mean, you had to figure out how to take a story, which is the underdog team, not an unusual story, mm. but because it was a real story and it was your culture that, you know, you were able to infuse it with, with what really happened, but also with the nature of, of telling Native stories. Yeah, and but also I had no interest in telling the exact story, yeah. the true story, because it's very, you know, I've, I've changed a lot of things. Yeah. And I feel like if you, know, if you want to see the, the real story, then watch the documentary. But even then, documentaries aren't real. No. Documentaries, are, they're edited to form a point of view. Sure, and, it depends who's in charge yeah. and, and so how much uh, say the subject has. Yeah, you could you could edit, you know, take a doc. You know, I was uh -huh. saying yesterday to someone, the, uh, you could take Bowling for Columbine and re-edit it yeah. to have a completely different point of view. Well, yeah, they might do that after the fascist one. Yeah, they re-edit everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this was a, uh, this was a success story. Yeah, yeah. Well, so what so, did you... Yeah, so I, I gave myself the big permission changes? to just just to focus on some, you know, relationship stuff, like with, with uh, the coach and the uh, Fafafine character, Jaya. Yeah. You know, and making more of that relationship because, you know, you need somewhere for a character like Michael's character, you need somewhere for them to go and for someone who's let's just talk you know who's, who's lost a, a child yeah you know had a great loss in his life and then to, to meet someone yes who kind of in some ways like you know is a surrogate but like but, a, but yeah. very different in but that very, they're a trans person yes and i just thought well that's a great thing to focus on yeah. and not make a big deal out of it as well right. like does not make a big deal out of the trans thing yeah, and yeah. With the you know the and, and that cultural thing because yeah, there's a level of acceptance around 
around that stuff, which has been around forever yeah. in the Pacific. Everywhere. Yeah. Like everyone in the West is just starting to have this conversation now. They're trying to figure sure. this out and understand it. And like, oh, we have to, there's certain things we have to say and all that. And, moral, and moralize about it. I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. I wish it was more understanding it. Yeah, yeah, just like, and also just say, oh, that makes you happy. But even can it, we move on to something right. else that's more important? Right. But it seems like even in like I'm sure a, a movie that is not looked favorably on by native people, but in Little Big Man, that yes. you know there are you know trans characters, and yeah. it, it's yeah. just part of the fabric, the social fabric of the tribe. Yeah, and it's accepted, and you just yeah. go, yeah. I think in um in a more Hollywood version of this, or you know, like by a different filmmaker, yeah. There'd be that big speech, you know, about some with someone saying it's okay to be different, you know, to sure. be, you, yeah. say, you know, yeah, big, yeah, yeah. long, boring, stupid yeah, speech. Yeah. Yeah. Just, but um, that was not your intent. It was just to to embrace the idea of tribal acceptance versus yeah, and just show, up against, and, and just show that this is this is what it is, and like, yeah, you know, yeah. no, one, no one talks about it because everyone accepts it. And, and then you have the coach who's got his own problems pushing back on it, yeah, a bit, a little bit, yeah, yeah. yeah. and just because it's, and again, it's a, a character who. Who deeply hates himself and yeah. is feels guilty blames himself, and yeah. blames himself for a lot of things, and then takes that out on everyone around him. Right, and it's like, and I thought you wrote a line with that too. That could have gotten even uglier. Oh right, with the with with, with his character, mm. you know, in terms of taking it out on people, yeah, because it was because you. I mean, you seem to have a really good sense of that. Because if you tip it too far, then you you deny the possibility of empathy. Mm-hmm. Right. If the guy turns into a real monster who doesn't have a change, then, you know, what do you have? Then you have a 70s movie. <laughs> but it's not necessarily a happy ending. Yeah. But you do feel that. A 70s movie is a great way yeah, to sure. think about things. I, I think everyone wants to be Hal Ashby when you, if they're honest. But like. Um, Pretty great stuff. Pretty great stuff. All different. Yeah. You know, and like, I think, uh, just when you're talking about 70s movies, I was thinking yeah. about um, Coming Home. Oh, God. And like, just like, you know, and that film i think for me even that's not a comedy is like there's just i keep thinking about it my whole life i've been thinking about me too film. but oddly i think about when robert carradine's character shot himself up with air and committed suicide when he they couldn't get into the room yes and he, yes oh yes, my yes, god yes fuck right yeah and then bruce dern walking that, into the ocean oh my god thinking, but that 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 intense scene when you know when um when John Voigt comes in and he's dealing with Jane Fonda and with um and with Dern yeah. and Dern's got the gun and he's like just like he doesn't actually know why he's fucking yeah. doing this yeah. and all that and and um and then they play what's the fucking it's the um Tim Buckley song as he walks off into the water yeah, and yeah. stuff and it's, but that films like that those seventies films, that all, you know, all the presidents, men, like all the Hal Ashby films, yeah, you know, those things have just—they're the things that stick with me. And I think a lot of people, like, when they ask me, like, "Oh, what's your influences?" Must be like comedies, comedies, comedies. Very few, yeah, comedies. A lot of them are just good dramas. The great film *Spirit of the Beehive*, which is another really great Spanish film that I've always gone back to. Um, but like you know, the um, the early uh, Malick films, yeah, of course. Um, and it's, uh, but coming home is a great character-driven piece where you're just seeing yeah. people just bumping into each other. Yeah, for a couple of hours. Just I just watched. Uh, it was interesting because you know I watched. You know, uh, I've watched The French Connection several times, but there was another movie done by I think someone involved with The French Connection. I don't remember the director's name. Called The Seven Ups with Roy Scheider. It's a cop movie, uh, but 
it was one of these under like I, I thought like why doesn't anyone ever talk about this movie because it's of the same time it's shot like the French Connection and it it it's got one of those endings where there's closure but it's it's gnarly yeah 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 yeah, yeah. They, they just had balls but to it do also that. those fucking films those characters are not likable no. Yeah, most of them are fucking racist white yeah. cops. Sure, you know, yeah. beating up black people, yeah. and um, and and then they just go and do their thing, and like you're like, well, that's, that's a cool character. Yeah, well, yeah, Popeye Doyle was like one of the yeah. me- most menacing fucking characters. He shot an FBI guy and <laughs> didn't even think twice about it. Remember, he accidentally yes, kills yes. that guy in when they're chasing down the Frenchman, and then he's just like, nah, fuck him, and then he just <laughs> he keeps looking. Yeah. So, but this one seemed to be a. a even though you did it a few years ago, kind of a return to, you know, what you're good at and what you're comfortable with. Not that you're not good at everything, but is is the next movie going to be a big departure, or what? What are you thinking? The next one, uh, what I'm trying to do on the next one is a um, a film, an adaptation of a uh, Kazuo Ishiguro book yeah. called Clara and the Sun. Okay, it's a really great book, and it's about an AF that in the near future people have these artificial friends. Who, sure, you know, and the way I want to do that is that it's not like having Siri or like a, right. a robot that's connected to the internet or you, her, you know, or her. It's just basically a, a like a, a lifelike robot who hangs around with you who oh, wow. doesn't know very much. Are you going to play it? I'll be, I'll be in there. Don't you worry. <laughs> kind of questions that, uh, and then, uh, but I like the idea that in the future it's just having company. Is yeah. what humans want. You don't want a robot who's super smart or can tell you what the weather's like in, sure. in Japan. It's just a person to hang out with you who doesn't know much and might be good at listening. Oh, that's funny. That sounds like so it's about that. So a companion robot. Sad robots. and funny. Sad and funny. But that's underneath it all, the idea is that I'm fascinated by is like is the idea that love is a program. Because, you know, if you've gone to enough couples counseling. Sure. Um, you know, they can they'll tell you you can program yourself to love someone make different choices you can yeah. you can convince yourself that you're in love with someone yeah. you can tell someone I love you 50 times a day eventually your brain will give up and go okay well I think there's love. A, it's a broad spectrum of, of what love means right yeah I mean being in love is you know in my experience being that and maybe yours, if depending on what kind of child you you come from, a uh, childhood you come from, when you're in love, you you you're probably smart not to trust it because it's going to get chaotic, yeah, and it's going to get messy. It's going to be really exciting for a while, but then untenable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's basically all relationships until I guess you so. kind of un- until you feel until you program yourself until you program <laughs> yourself until you give up and just yeah, sit yeah. with it, um, right. Yeah, no, I'm a little bit more hopeful than that with love, but um, but it is an idea that I thought about. If that's if the, if the human brain is yeah. basically a computer that can be programmed to love, yeah. then what's the difference with a robot? Yeah, with AI, what's the you know? Yeah, how far along are, are you in it? I'm writing it. Okay. Well, it's great talking to you, man. I love you, brother. I love you too. I really, uh, I think you are. Man, a- we went through everything. I've been told my therapist half this shit. <laughs> But I, I think you're a real uh, a genius guy in that, you know, in terms of being a, a, a director who truly has a point of view and a voice that is, you know, distinguishable. And it, and it goes through all the work. And that's a, an amazing thing. Congrats. <laughs> I love you, man. Love you, Thank too. You, brother. There you go. 
genius. Uh, next Goal Wins is playing now in theaters. Hang out for a minute, people. Hey, folks, this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. You know all those times you've heard guests sneeze on the show. Well, actually, you don't hear any of that because we cut the sneezes out when we're editing. But take my word for it, people definitely sneeze in here, and when they they do, I've got a box of Kleenex on the table right in front of them so they can use one and get right back to business. And here's what Kleenex means to me, a tissue that will hold up. We've all used those other tissues that you blow holes right through. When I see Kleenex, I know that tissue is up for the job. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Okay, so a couple things. Be careful this Thanksgiving. I'll talk to you day of. I got my optometrist on, Dr. Elliot Kane, who's primarily a trumpeter, but he's mostly an, an optometrist, but he's a jazz trumpet player. It doesn't matter. And also, if you have some time this week, you might want to go listen to episode 702 with Rob Reiner. You can hear that for free right now in whatever podcast app you're using and listen to Rob tell stories about his friend Albert. It's funny, your father... Uh, you just said said you were the brooding kid. I was. I was. But the, you know, but you talk to your father, and, and within seconds, he'll be my my son's friend Albert. Yes, the oh, funniest no. guy yeah, I've no, ever no. seen in my yeah, life. He was the funniest, and Albert Albert was a prodigy at age sixteen. A comedy prodigy. A, yes, a comedy prodigy at age sixteen. He could make not just adults laugh. Yeah, but professional. I mean. You know, world-class professional comedians. Yeah. My dad, Mel, he'd make them laugh at age 16. It was an amazing thing. And you guys have been friends since you were what? Since we were 16. That's crazy, yeah. right? Yeah, and yeah. you're still friends now? Yeah. He came up to me the other, last night, you know, because he won't yeah. come on the show. He uh, won't? No. Why? Because I don't you know. Don't, you tell me. You know me. why? Because you don't pay him. That's why. Really? Is that I it? I think that's it. Pay, it's, it's not because he doesn't like to talk about himself? No, no. He's happy to talk. He just doesn't want to waste all that good comedy. <laughs> you know? what, what do you think it would take? I don't know. A don't limo know. and 500 bucks? I don't know. But he's, <laughs> but, he's, but he's brilliant. Yeah. For no particular reason at all, go back and check out episode 702 for Rob's stories about his friend Albert, as in Albert Brooks. No reason. And you can also get every episode of WTF ad-free when you sign up for WTF+. Plus. Just go to the link in the episode description and or go to WTFpod.com and click on WTF+. Plus. Here's some guitar. I was trying to do a thing. I was trying to do a thing.
Boomer lives. Monkey and LaFonda. Cat angels everywhere. That was, a, that was a hard one, but I think I could polish it up. Mm-hmm. 